0: Father, thank you for this time now to be in your word together. I pray that you would uh, attend the preaching of your word with the power of your spirit uh, to exalt the work and glory of your Son. I pray that you would uh, help us to treasure him in our hearts as we hear uh, the great thing that he does in calling disciples and saving sinners like us. God, I pray you'd give us joy in him and uh, a, a greater willingness to be living sacrifices for his sake. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll open your Bible, please, to Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. And last Lord's Day, we looked at two passages at the end of Matthew 4. Matthew 4... 13 through 17 told us about the beginning of Christ's ministry in Galilee. Then Matthew 4, 23 through 25 told us a summary of Christ's ministry in Galilee. And then both of those passages showed us that the real heart of His ministry in Galilee was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom or proclaiming the kingdom of heaven so, see this, uh, Matthew 4 17, the beginning of his ministry. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, look down at verse 23, which summarizes his ministry. Jesus went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Those healing miracles were proof that the kingdom of heaven really was at hand in him. So, So we have these two passages about Christ's ministry, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which was near in him. And today, we consider what happens in between those passages. Verses 18 through 22, Jesus will call his first Disciples, two pairs of brothers. And as we zoom in on these verses, we should ask, why are these stories right here? Sandwiched in between two passages about Christ proclaiming the coming of His kingdom. And here's my answer. These verses show that Jesus didn't just come to preach about the coming of His kingdom. He came to call people into it. And these verses show us how we did, and therefore how one enters the kingdom. What does it actually look like for people to start being saved into the kingdom of God? When Jesus calls someone into his kingdom, what kind of life is he calling them to? When Jesus makes these men his first disciples, it gives us a paradigm that answers those questions. And that's the point, I think, especially because... There there are two calling stories right here in this passage, and they follow the exact same script. Jesus is walking. He sees two brothers. He calls them to follow him, and they do right away. And then the same thing happens all over again. He's walking. He sees two brothers. He calls them to follow him, and they do right away. So this repeat script shows us that that the calling of the disciples is a pattern. It is is a paradigm paradigm of what it looks like to be called by Jesus into His kingdom. So that that means that the truths that we take out of these verses really are some of the most essential truths that you need to understand to understand what real Christianity is. In effect, this passage shows us what it means to live as a Christian, First, we learn from this passage, if Christ calls you into his kingdom, you are called to a person. Called to a person. Look, Look at verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If you want to get to the bottom of what the christian life is here it is in christ's simple call follow me he didn't say follow my teachings follow my lifestyle follow my example follow this path to my kingdom he said follow me and he said later i am the way i i am the truth i am the life The the call of the kingdom is a personal call to follow a person. Salvation is not just accepting a set of doctrines or a moral code or a lifestyle or a particular hope for eternity. It's following a person. Now don't get me wrong, Christianity is always doctrinal and ethical and eschatological. But it, but it is none of those things at the bottom. At the bottom, it is personal attachment to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. It, the Christian life is, is not even simply trying to serve Jesus. It, it's a life of following Him, a desire to be with Him. Jesus said in John 12, 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And, and where I am, there my servant will be also. The grand mark of a Christian is a persevering attachment to Jesus. And verse 20 shows us that this, above all else, characterized the first disciples. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed Him to be with Him. To walk with Him. And I say walk with Him. Verse 18 said Jesus called them while walking by the Sea of Galilee. And so these men started walking with Him. That that really has been God's purpose for man from the beginning. Genesis 3 indicates that Adam walked with God in the garden. Genesis 5 says Enoch walked with God. Genesis 6 says Noah walked with God. God made man to be in fellowship with Him. And so when God incarnate came to earth and began calling people into His kingdom, He called them to walk with Him. At first, quite literally, follow me. This this call in verse 19, follow me. Some of you may have a footnote in your Bible that tells you that 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 more literally is translated something like, come here, after me. Come, be with me. Come close and stay close. Stay after me so so when I go, you, you go on with me. And so they went with him. When when verse 21 says he started going, verse 21, look there. It says, and going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Now, we're not explicitly told what he said when he called them, but... We're safe to assume it's the same thing that that he said to Peter and Andrew when he called them because uh, the response to the call of Jesus of these two is the exact same as Peter and Andrew's. They followed Jesus. See that in verse 22. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It's a call to a person. In the Gospel of Mark, when it talks about the twelve disciples, that Jesus was going to make uh, the foundation of the kingdom He's going to establish, it says He chose them so that they might be with Him. This is Mark 3, 13 and 14. It says, He called those whom He desired, and they came to Him. And He appointed twelve, whom He also named apostles so that they might be with Him and might send, He might send them out to, to preach. Now, now I want you to have that in mind. Listen to these words from John 17. Here Jesus is praying for all His future disciples, including us. And He indicates He has that same desire for, for them, for us. John 17, 24. He prayed, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, that they may be with me where I am. Matthew 4 is a glimpse into this heart of Jesus and and into the very core of Christianity. It, It is being with Him. It is walking with Him. It is following after Him. It is belonging to Him, the person of Jesus Christ Let me read you one, uh, a little excerpt from a teaching of Charles Spurgeon that he gave at a YMCA in England in the 1850s. Did you know there were YMCA's in England at that time? Uh, He gave this lecture and and he says, our faith is a person. Not our faith is in a person, our faith is a person. And here's, here's what he went on to say, our faith is a person. The gospel we have to preach is a person. And go wherever we may. We have something solid and tangible to preach. If you had asked the twelve apostles in their day, what do you believe in? They would not need to, to go round about with a long reply. They would have pointed to their master, and they would have said, we believe him. But what are your doctrines? There they stand, incarnate. But what is your practice? There stands our practice. He is our example. Our creed, our our body of divinity, our whole theology is summed up in the person of Christ Jesus. The apostles preached doctrine, but the doctrine was Christ. They preached practice, but the practice was all in Christ. And so to spread the faith then is, in fact, to bring men to feel their need for Christ. To seek Christ, to believe in Christ, to love Christ, to live for Christ. Look, what does it look like to respond in true faith to the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached? What what does it look like to truly repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand? It looks like following a person. And entrusting your life to Him and giving your life to be with Him and know Him and nothing else is the kind of repentance that brings you into His kingdom. I love the way Revelation chapter 14 describes the uh, people who have been redeemed from the earth, people who have been saved. They're described like this These follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That's Christianity. And and, and it is still, even after Jesus ascended to heaven and was not on the earth to physically and literally follow anymore, still follow him, continued to be the call of the kingdom in the life of a Christian. Uh, A man who's called right here in Matthew 4, heard Jesus say, follow me, talking about the life that he would have after Jesus was gone. And I read that earlier in the service. Peter. John 21, Jesus described how he was going to die after Jesus was in heaven and he said to Peter, you follow me then. You follow me. Now all the other points we're going to talk about today are subsumed under this one because all of what it means to be a Christian and be saved can be subsumed under this called, called to a person, Jesus Christ. Now next, from this passage... If Christ calls you into the kingdom, you're called to discipleship, called to discipleship. If you look at the passage right after this one, the beginning of chapter 5, you see that that these men have gained the title, disciple. Chapter 5, verse 1, "...seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him." Now, disciple is related to this call, follow me, Uh, What it means to be a disciple is often explained just as follower. Disciple was a term that referred in those days most often to people who would attach themselves to a certain Jewish rabbi. Uh, Disciples were those who literally followed around a certain rabbi of their choosing to to absorb their teaching and their way of life. The word disciple uh, in the original Greek is from the verb that means to learn. So literally, a disciple is a learner, one who learns to trust and obey and believe like his teacher and master. And the term rabbi means teacher or master. So so this is why, later in Matthew, when Jesus gives the call of the kingdom in a more expanded way, he says, come to me, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Be, be, a, be my learner. Be my disciple. Attach yourself to me. And then learn to trust my words and learn to obey my commands. To be a disciple of Jesus means that's what you intend to do. To believe his words as you learn them. To obey his commands as you learn them. And when Jesus speaks at the end of this gospel about how to make disciples, He he explains it in those terms. It involves teaching so that people will learn to obey everything Jesus commands. So, if obedience to Jesus is not the true desire of your heart, you cannot call yourself a disciple of Jesus in the biblical sense of the word. And the responses in this passage of Simon and Andrew and James and John illustrate this passage so powerfully. He he illustrates this principle powerfully. He called the first two in in verse 19, follow me. And in verse 20, immediately they followed. He he called the next two in 21, follow me. And in verse 22, immediately they followed. They obeyed. So if you're called into the kingdom, yes, you're called to a person, but you're called to relate to that person in a certain way. As his disciple who intends to learn the person, to learn from the person, and to learn to obey the person more and more. And and how much should we do that since he's not only for us our teacher and master, he is our savior and our God. God. And he is our king, the king of the kingdom of God. He's not calling us into just a rabbinical school. He's calling us into a kingdom. Now, this passage shows the authority of Jesus in in this way, but, but not only in this way, not just in that the disciples he calls obeys, but also in the fact that he's calling disciples in the first place. Because in these days, rabbis didn't choose their disciples. Their disciples chose them. Rabbis hoped to gain followers, but they couldn't make it so. That was the custom. Jesus broke that mold. He called His disciples, and, and He reminded His disciples of that, to comfort them and to strengthen them on the night before He died. He reminded them of this. In John 15, 15, he said, you, 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. You were not of the world. I chose you out of the world. So, so unlike other rabbis who would wait for their would-be disciples, right to be the ones to initiate and approach them and ask to become their follow, follower, J- Jesus initiates by His grace. He didn't wait to be approached by these four men. He summoned them. He drew them to Himself by His sovereign authority. And that's the next main point we can draw from this passage. If Christ calls you into His kingdom, you are called by sovereign grace. Called by sovereign grace. If you read the whole book of Matthew, one thing you're going to figure out real quick is that this book is not about the heroic devotion of the disciples. Uh, They are slow to understand. They're slow to believe. uh, They they are slow to act. They're slow to obey sometimes. They need correction. They need rebuke. They need extra, extra explaining. And so when we read these verses in chapter 4, you should know the main point here is not... Uh, Look at the incredible piety of these new disciples. Now, the main idea is about Jesus powerfully and graciously bringing these men into his kingdom. Now, honestly, this story sounds a lot like some other miracle stories in Matthew. Jesus speaks, and what he says immediately happens. Chapter 8 of Matthew, Jesus touches a leper. He says, be clean, and immediately his leprosy is cleansed. Or, or, or chapter 20, Jesus touches the eyes of two blind men, and immediately they recover their sight and follow Him. You should think about this passage in chapter 4 as like another miracle story. It's a miracle of Jesus' power and grace. He says to these brothers, follow me, and immediately they leave all and follow Him. When, when Jesus called these Men, in a sense, He healed them. He healed them of that sickness of heart, of this spiritual disease that sinners have from birth that prefers other things above God. And, but, but when these men heard the call of Jesus, His words worked a miracle in their hearts that made them want to follow Him. His words opened the eyes of their hearts To see that knowing this Jesus was better than anything that they had going on and anything else that they could do with their life. It's like when Jesus spoke to Lazarus, come out, and he did. With the same power and efficacy, he spoke to these disciples, follow me, and they did. Remember the wider context of these verses, right? Okay, Jesus is going all around Galilee proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And all who heard him preach are called to repent. They were invited to repent. It was their duty to repent. But these four men were granted repentance by a great act of of his sovereign grace. Like we sing... Uh, Their chains fell off. Their hearts were free. They rose, went forth, and followed him. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. I call my own sheep by name. My sheep follow me. They know my voice. When they hear my voice, they know my voice. They follow me. Now listen to what Matthew Henry says uh, about our passage in Matthew 4. Matthew Henry, an uh, English Puritan. He wrote, In all Christ's preaching, he gave a common call to all the country. Repent, come, believe. But in this instance, he gave a special and particular call to those that were given him by the Father. All the country was called, but these were called out. They were redeemed from among them. Yes. Yes, Andrew, Peter, James, John, they were called in a special and particular way, in an an efficacious way, chosen by grace, drawn by the Father. Their hearts are opened by Jesus' power, and so they follow Him. And you know what the Bible teaches? That's not only the experience of these first four disciples. Every time a person is called into the kingdom of Christ and and hears the gospel and responds by trusting Jesus for salvation and following Him, that's what happened. They were called by sovereign grace. and, And so, from a heart made free, they followed Him freely. Salvation is all of grace. It is all the gift of God for undeserving sinners. And the next time that there's a calling story in Matthew... Jesus makes that explicit. He calls Matthew, who's a tax collector, notoriously sinful. And Matthew follows him, and Jesus explains, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's all of grace. If you've been brought into his kingdom, you are called by sovereign grace. Now, what you need to learn next, and this is related is that when Christ calls you into His kingdom, you're also called to His mission. Called to His mission. That is another essential reality of what it means to become a Christian. Look again at this passage. Jesus told these men what He was going to make of them if they started to follow Him. Verse 19, He, he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, So, come to me, and you won't just be fishing for fish anymore. Uh, you'll be fishing for people. Now, what does that mean? Consider the context. Remember first, this calling, fish for men, is part of a wider calling to follow Jesus. It is not a distinct or separate call. Jesus says to them, come here, walk with me. Go where I go. Do what I do. And if you do that, I will make you a fisher of men. Okay, Do you see that logic? If you follow me, you'll be fishing for men because that's what I'm going to be doing. And in fact, is what I'm doing right now for you. Think about this. Uh, Jesus fishing for men right here. Get this scene in your mind. Verse 18 gave us these great details. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. And, and Simon and Andrew are... Fishing for fish. They're dropping nets down in in the sea, I presume, from a boat. They're casting down a net, hoping to bring fish out of the sea. Jesus calls to them. What does Jesus bring out of the Sea of Galilee? Men. Disciples. And, And then Jesus goes on, and he sees James and John. They are out in the sea, explicitly. They're in a boat with their father. And Jesus casts his words out into the waters again, and he brings two more men out of the Sea of Galilee to make them his disciples too. So when Jesus told them, I'll make you fishers of men, he's telling them, I, I'm going to work through you to do for others what I'm doing for you right now. You, you go call others to repent and follow me and I'm going to work through your work to call men into my kingdom and make them my disciples. Uh, Jesus used similar imagery in Matthew 13, 47. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And Jesus explained, in more direct terms even, uh, what this fishing for men looks like at, at the end of the gospel, the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. So, the call to discipleship, don't, don't, sep, don't cut verse 19 in half like these are separate things, okay? The call to discipleship, your following Christ, is, is also a call to disciple-making. You're helping others to follow Christ, whether to come to Christ initially or to grow in following Christ as a Christian, to, to keep learning to obey His commands, Uh, You've heard me say this before, but I think it's so true, and it's especially true to this passage. So here it comes again. I've, I've, I've heard another pastor say this more than once. If you are not trying to help others follow Jesus, I don't know what you mean when you say that you are following Jesus. If you are not trying to help others follow Jesus, I don't know what you mean when you say you are following Jesus. What is Jesus doing on earth? He's fishing for men. He's making disciples. He's building up His church. He's teaching His sheep how to obey Him more and more. If if you're not going about those things, trying to do some of those things, make your life to be about some of those things. What are the senses in which you're following Him? Follow Him close. Make your life about these things if you personally attach yourself to the person of Christ, that implies that, that you are a disciple-making disciple. And every Christian that gets saved is called to this ministry. Now, most Christians will not be called to make disciple-making their paying job, uh, through which God will provide their daily bread. That's not true for most Christians like it was here for uh, like it would be true for um, these who followed him. But still, all Christ followers are fishers of men. Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, uh, but you don't maybe know the kind of person I am. I'm not the kind of person who can do the, you know, these kinds of things. Making disciples, that seems like it's the farthest thing from what I think I could contribute to in some way you need to remember the last point and apply it to this one. God's sovereign grace is what ultimately makes people disciples and what makes people grow as disciples. It's not your skill or your wisdom or your personal strengths or your personal charisma. That's the most important difference. It's the grace of God. You trust Jesus and follow Him. What did He say to these men? He didn't say, follow me because it seems like you would make pretty good fishers of men. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus put their fishing for men on his shoulders. I will make sure that you can do this. He knows you're not sufficient for this work. But he's able to make you someone who does it. To work through your disciple making efforts. Anything that you might do. Anything. No matter how small. To, to help, try and help others follow Jesus or follow Him more closely. You're walking behind the Savior, and the Savior works through those efforts. You cast the nets, and, and He will make sure that, that we drag in disciples in accordance with His gracious will. And you know what? Jesus loves to choose disciples who don't seem like they would be uh, able to do these things very well because it shows that, that it's all the work of His grace, and so He gets all the glory. And that certainly was the case with these four men. Who, these men that, that Jesus you know, reeled in from the Sea of Galilee, Peter and the rest, who were these men? The, these were not the, the greatest scholars from the, the scribal schools in Jerusalem. These were men who were fishing on the Sea of Galilee, a, a, a lowly place of... Ill repute. Remember in the book of Acts, when the Jewish religious leaders hear Peter proclaiming Christ, Acts 4.13 says they were astonished. They were astonished at the boldness of Peter and John. Why? It says because they were common, uneducated men. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I love that. To, to be someone who makes disciples, you don't need to be anything special. You, you need to be a common man or woman. You don't need to be especially educated. You just need to be with Jesus. Follow him. He, he said, look, look at Jesus prove good on his word. He said, I will make you fishers of men. And you know what he did? The book of Acts, these men, They did the New Testament letters that show us, they did. Jesus can do it for us. His grace is enough. Now, these four fishermen, I think, they, they probably didn't even totally understand what Jesus meant when he said, I will make you fishers of men. I mean, you know, it, it took me 15 minutes to just explain it, and he just called them, and they came. So I'm pretty sure they thought... Um, You know, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I know this. I know I want to be with Him. I I want Him as my teacher and my master and my Savior and my Lord and my treasure. I I don't know about this work He's calling me to, but I know I want Him, and so I'm in. And I'll just trust that He can make me whatever He calls me. And that, that's the only trust that He wants you to be, to just be in on following Him and trust that He will equip you to be called to His mission. If Christ calls you into His kingdom, you're, you're called to a person, to discipleship, called by sovereign grace, and to His mission. Here's our last point. If Christ calls you into His kingdom, you are called to complete devotion. Devotion. Complete devotion. Now, that is clear in this passage, isn't it? These four men forsake all for the sake of following Jesus. Both verse 20 and 22 points out what these men left to follow. They both say, leaving, they followed. Verse 20, they left their nets and followed him. All right, fishing was not just a hobby that they gave up here. This was their life. This was their livelihood. Verse 22: Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. That, that is a powerful picture to have in your mind. These two men walking away from a boat that their father is, is still sitting in. The eyes of their hearts had been opened. To see Jesus was worth, leaving all to gain. Now, we know from other scriptures, again, not every person called to salvation will also be called to quit their careers as part of their following Christ and and part of their commission to make disciples. Not every person called to salvation will be called to move away from their family, like James and John were as part of their following Christ. But, here's what you need to understand, every true Christian is called to have the same heart that would compel these four fishermen to do those things. To leave their livelihood, possessions, family. To be willing to let goods and kindred go. For the sake of following Christ, if that's what it requires. To, to, to have no limits of what you're willing to leave, to have Him. Christianity is a relationship of complete devotion, no boundaries, total self-giving to this one who has given Himself totally for us and gives Himself totally to us. To follow Christ, you, you must see Him as a greater treasure, a greater treasure than your job than your parents, than your kids, more than anything in this earthly life, even more than this earthly life itself. Now, none of us can can walk out of that heart perfectly. We don't trust in our ability to have that heart to be saved. We trust in the work of Jesus to be saved. But if you want to follow Jesus and have his work apply to you, this needs to be the intention of your heart. I know that that's true. That's the judgment of my heart, that he is the greatest treasure. I want, I want to be this person who leaves all to follow Him. And His disciples are, by His grace, at work in them. Matthew 10, He said, Matthew 10, 37 through 39, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. See, it's not just these brothers is whoever, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That doesn't mean you have to get rid of everything that you have and every relationship that you have the day you get saved. It means that you renounce it in the sense of, I don't live for any of those things anymore. Jesus comes first. He's my supreme treasure. And and taking Jesus as your supreme treasure is part of what it means to trust in Him as your Savior. Because having Him as your supreme treasure is part of the free gift of salvation that He wants to give you. And having Jesus as your supreme treasure is part of what it means to take Jesus as your Lord. What, that, th- this is p- what repentance from sin looks like. What do you think the heart of sin is? Preferring things other, other than God, above God, namely idolatry. To repent, we, we must turn to Christ to, 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 to count Him as a treasure above all others, to say there's nothing on earth that I desire that could compare with you. Now this stands in contrast to the way that some later in the Gospels, Jesus, they come up against this call um, to follow Jesus and and they say to Jesus, I will follow you, but let me first, you know, bury my father, which, which doesn't mean Um, you know, my father has just recently died, I just want to get through the funeral. I think it means I want to stay with my father to be with him until he dies, and I bury him before I go be with you. But then I'll go be with you. And Jesus declines those terms for discipleship. And another says, I'll follow you, but let me first go say goodbye to my relatives. And, And Jesus declines those terms of discipleship. Because To be Christ's disciple, you can't say, Jesus, let me first fill in the blank. To be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus comes first. That's the intention of your heart, the desire of your heart, the judgment of your heart. Now, the way that these fishermen follow Christ stands in contrast to that, but but the way these fishermen follow Christ, I want you to see, also stands in contrast to the way that many... Others follow Christ for different reasons that we see even in this passage right here in Matthew 4. The verses that follow. This is pretty amazing I think. The the verses we've read, pretty clearly the point, the main point is about following Jesus. Jesus says, follow me, they followed him. Follow me, they followed him. And then we read some more verses about a lot of other people following Jesus too. Look at verse 24, start at verse 24 of Matthew 4. His fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea. From beyond the Jordan. Wow! They followed him. Does that mean these great crowds became his disciples? No. The next verse distinguishes the crowds who followed him from his true disciples. Chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So so the disciples he called followed him. And the crowds follow him. But, but you need to understand this the called don't follow Jesus like, like the crowds follow Jesus. Why did the crowds follow Jesus? To, to get things from him, to, to, to gain better health, to gain freedom from pain. To gain a longer earthly life. Even to gain their family members back. It says they were bringing the sick to him. To get things from him that weren't him. What about the true disciples? What what about these true Christians? How do they follow Christ? It's kind of the opposite. They're willing to leave family members. They're willing to have their earthly life be cut short. We'll find out later in the gospel. For the sake of gaining him What they wanted most from following Jesus is Jesus. The kingdom of heaven spreads on earth not when Jesus draws crowds, but when Jesus calls disciples who are willing to forsake to follow him, who who are willing to leave, to cleave to him in love, even, even to take up a cross and lose life. And here's the really good news. That the call of, of following Christ involves taking up a cross because ultimately that, that's where Jesus was headed. Jesus was walking towards taking up a cross to give of himself fully, offering himself up in death for our sins so that he could give all of himself to us in holy fellowship and receive all of us as a holy offering and as a holy friend and brother and disciple, cleansed by His blood. Go with me where I go. I'm going to a cross for you. So understand this. When Jesus calls His disciples to leave all and follow Him, that is not so that He can get from us. It is so He can give to us all that He is for the fullness of our joy in Him. It is so important for you to understand this. This call to complete devotion, to to become and be a Christian. This is not Jesus demanding that you pay this high price to purchase or to merit or, or earn your salvation. It is part of the gracious gift of salvation, part of being brought into the blessing of the kingdom of heaven, that you would know the Lord in complete, mutual, unreserved love, that by grace He would receive all of you and give all of Himself to you. And, and really then, this last point brings us back to where we started, that the point of our faith is we are called to a person. Listen, if you were just being called to doctrine... Then, then you would only need to give your mind to receive this, this Christianity thing. If you're just being called to a lifestyle, then you would just need to give your time and effort. If, if you're just being called to a certain eternal future, then you just need to give your hope. But if the call of the kingdom is to a person, to know him in fellowship and love, then you must give all of you your very self to receive this gift. And it is the greatest gift that God could possibly give himself. If you want to see the kingdom of God growing on the earth, look, look for the people who want that because that's where it is. Those in the kingdom of heaven, people who are following Him, who are willing or want to be willing to forsake what they must for the sake of following Him and knowing Him in love and, and who desire to fish for others to know the same. Father, thank you for this great salvation that you've given us in Christ, for this great salvation which is, in many ways, uh, Christ himself. Lord, I pray that you would make us a church family that that, that would say, we want to preach and know nothing but Christ and him crucified. and, And help us to glory only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul said he did in Galatians 6. Father, I pray you would use this song we sing now, use the Lord's Supper afterward to accomplish those good, uh, sanctifying things in our hearts uh, even further. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.